Hello, everybody. You're all very welcome to another episode of Words on Whiskey, brought to you by Irish Whiskey Magazine. And we're delighted to continue the series. And we have a special guest today. They're all special guests, but uh, John is uh, a well-known personality, individual, professional within the Irish whiskey sector. And he's been in it for a very long time, 20 years as a an ambassador, as an account manager, various roles within the industry. And his opinion is very much uh, highly sought after and highly respected. So I'm delighted to have John Cashman with us this evening. John, hello, welcome. Hey, Serge, how are and you? Not, I'm good. And not for your first time on the show. Mm. Of course, you helped us with the Discover Irish Coast co-hosting that series. So. Yeah, I think I, I was certainly, um, right now, I'm feeling like I was far more comfortable back then <laughs> when asking the question rather yeah. than sitting here in uh, Magnus Magnuson's hot chair waiting to hear what you have to ask me, you know? But, I was uh, I was half hoping you'd uh, be able to conduct the interview yourself. So. <laughs> just give me give me an hour long of soliloquy and I'll just start talking. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, uh, I don't know what it's like down there in uh, County Wicklow in the uh, storm that we're facing yeah. now, Storm Dudley. Hopefully, we won't get it cut off. But no, uh, it, it, there there could always be a possibility. Unfortunately, I do live in rural County Wicklow, so there's a lot of trees around, and all it takes is for one of them to go down over a electricity wire or or, or the uh, or the uh, internet cable, and boom. But yeah. uh, we've we've had a few power outages already in the past six months. The kids got like three days without any power, which they went stir crazy without access to you know YouTube or whatever. So so yeah. uh, have the candles on ready just in case. But they won't they won't work for this. But uh, look, fingers crossed, we'll be fine. Yeah, excellent. Look, okay, you're down there in uh, County Wicklow, as you said. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your family there, John. Yeah, yeah well, a couple I'm of young ones. Yeah, I'm born and bred um, from Rattrum, County Wicklow. Um, I grew up on a farm um, on which I, I have since built my own house. Um, so my my parents were farmers. Uh, my dad also uh, worked um, for a period of time in the agrochemical industry uh, for Monsanto, actually. Um, right. uh, Monsanto has got a bit of a bad rep over the past few years with Roundup. But um, he was he was uh, he ran the company here in Ireland for a number of years. He had a degree in agricultural science. The first of his family to um, to uh, to go to university. Um, my mother was a nurse, and then I became um, I became reared myself and my sister, um, and then re- really ran the farm. Um, essentially and became heavily involved in the Irish Farmers Association. She was the first ever um, lady lady chairman of, of a uh, IFA society here. Um, she's a lifetime member of the IFA now. She got that. She was a former president of County Wicklow IFA, so was heavily, heavily involved in the Irish Farmers Association. And used to get to stage, we'd be brought up to all the all the um, demonstrations in Dublin in the, in the late 1970s and early 1980s. We'd be there holding different placards and whatever for, for yeah. farming so um farming never appealed to me i i, I just I, I i never had any interest in it um, for whatever reason i remember as a child even um setting up office things on, on a desk you know and my right. pen my pad it was just sad really um yeah. but um yeah so when you know when went to a primary school here locally and then went to secondary school in dublin um and then studied european studies and languages right. um and that's kind of what got me into uh, my career, really, um, because 
my degree was, yeah, it was politics and languages. So uh, Spanish and German I studied um, in university. But during the summer months, I used to work as a tour guide um, in Glendalough. I live quite close to Glendalough. All right, okay. Very nice. So, um, yeah, so I, 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 I found, you know, I had an ability to, and a confidence to stand up in front of people and, you know, tell a story, basically. And um, when I finished, when I finished university, I, um, I, I applied for the, the Jamison Graduate Scheme and yeah. um, I did two interviews um, for that and uh, I, was, uh, I was chosen. And um, the reason I was chosen, I found out afterwards, was they were looking for someone for a brand new market, which was Denmark. And I needed somebody who could stand up in front of a crowd and uh, yeah. tell a story. And uh, that's how I got that gig and that's how I got into this industry. But, you know, that, that's that side of it. But, I mean, back to the family thing, yeah, you know, I, I, um, uh, my wife is from South Dublin and uh, we met when we were both working for Cuisine de France. Um, she was the marketing manager for Cuisine de France and I was, I was a sales guy for a few years. And we met there and uh, so we, we got married and we lived in South Dublin. And then, um, and then you know, Kid number two came along and we had a two-bedroom apartment and, you know, the crash had happened. We couldn't get rid of it and we couldn't couldn't afford to move anywhere else. So it kind of took a gamble and sort of said to her one evening, do you fancy trying out living down the country? You know, she'd never lived outside of Dublin or Boston. She had a green card as well, so she lived in Boston for a number of years. Yeah. So it was a bit of a big leap for her. And uh, But we came down and we rented a house down here in County Wicklow, um, in Rattrum, in the same village where I grew up. And uh, she fell in love with the place. Um, well, maybe not so much the place, but certainly the the, the, the surroundings, um, yeah. you know, the, the speed of life, everything like that. Um, and then we started our merry dance with Wicklow County Council to, um, to uh, build our own home. Um, on on the family farm, my father uh, unfortunately passed away a few years ago, and uh, so I took over the farm, um, mm. um, which I have leased out. But um, you know, built a house on the farm, so that's where what we are. What type of farm is it, John? Uh, in my father's day, it was a sheep farm and a tillage and a dry stock farm. So uh, rearing cattle for for um, for the meat industry, essentially. Yeah. Um, so now the farmer um, bordering uh, my land um, is a dairy farmer. So he's always looking for extra land. Um, so it so worked out well, worked out well. So I have the village on one side of me. And then on the other side, I have Avondale uh, Forest Park, which is yeah. the home of Charles Hurt Parnell. So, yeah. um, and that's been massively redeveloped right now. There's a 7 million euro um, investment going into it. It's going to be this huge um, destination, um, tourism destination venue for County Wicklow. So it's exciting times down around here right now. But uh, yeah. yeah, so that's that's the background anyway, you know. Yeah, I mean, that South County Dublin Wicklow has changed so much, of course, over the last 10, 15 years. It's uh, unrecognizable. Oh, I, I remember going to a step aside, uh, you know, when I was going to school. <laughs> And there was, I remember Stepside just had loads of pitch and put courses, you yeah. know, everywhere. Yeah. Now I think yeah. there's only one left, all the rest have been built on, you know. They're all so, apartments now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's changed, you know. Yeah. And a day out to Wicklow was a, was a day trip. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 it was. And now sure half of Wicklow's uh, working in Dublin or I've come from Dublin originally, you know. So um, yeah, all change, all change. But it's, yeah. hey, look, it's good. Good. Well, it's interesting that you joined through the the Jameson graduate program. It's a mm. fantastic entry for a lot of people. Well, what do you think um, was the most important thing you took away from that, John? Um, yeah, good question. It was 
I suppose one of the things, you're straight out of college, and in my case, I was sent to a city like Copenhagen, which, trust me, when you're a 23-year-old new graduate single, Copenhagen's mm-hmm. not a bad city to be uh, to be sent to, trust me, apart from it's damn expensive, you know. But um, straight away, you're, you're given... Um, you automatically get a lot of confidence because you 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 sort of build up a lot of responsibility quite quickly. Um, a lot of it maybe depends on the company in which you're working. And I was working for at that stage it was a third party aligned to Perno Ricard called World Brands Denmark. But since then they've been incorporated. Now I think that Perno Ricard Denmark, and they were a small enough organisation. You got to remember a country like Denmark. Uh, Jemison wasn't really well known at all. It was very much a Tullamore Jew market as most most of Scandinavia. Scandinavia and sort of Eastern Europe was um, certainly up until the 1990s. Um, so it was a new virgin market. And uh, I, I got out there and I just started meeting and greeting people and calling into pubs and just doing just doing the hard sell, uh, yeah. you know, which is very much stood me in good stead for the rest of my career because in the main, I was working with smaller brands that people that weren't instantly recognizable. And the only way you're going to get traction, the only way you're going to get sales is by the hard slog. There's no, there's no easy way of selling a brand that nobody's heard of before, apart from knocking on the door, going in and getting liquid on lips. So that was one of the big takeaways I got from it, you know, was the, uh, the effort you have to go to in order to get that sale. Um, and that, that part was great. Um, and, uh, yeah. And also just, just how you conduct yourself in other, other markets, you know, Danish people are very different to to Irish people. They tend to be a bit more reserved. But once you once you get to know them, and once you um, once you build up a relationship, you know, absolutely brilliant people and uh, love love to party just like just like we do. Yeah. Um, but learning, learning those lessons and certainly in my uh, latter part of my career at Beam Suntory when I was responsible for all whiskies worldwide, um, you know, you really need to know when you go to a certain market or you go to a certain country, how do you conduct yourself in that country? How do you, how do you uh, get what you want to get across to them, you know, without being pushy? Because the way you might operate in Texas is very different to the way you're going to operate in Tokyo. Um, so you just have to learn those nuances and, 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 uh, and realize yeah, um, how, to, how to work the market. Yeah. And back then, I mean, you were talking about the 90s. Uh, what was the perception and, and if you like, the, the throughput of Irish whiskey? You know, what, what was it perceived as back then? Yeah. Well, in Denmark, anyway, Irish whiskey was 100% an Irish coffee brand and that was it. Um, that's all anyone thought Irish whiskey was was good for uh, because that's the way it had been promoted over the previous 20 or 30 years. And that was really the way that, um, you know, people... Uh, Back, back in the 1970s, um, they realized when Irish whiskey was really struggling everywhere, they had to try to find a way to increase the sales of Irish whiskey. And one of those was, OK, let's start promoting Irish coffee. And Irish coffees were always very, very popular in, in the colder countries. So Scandinavia, um, Eastern Europe, Germany, some of those places where it's got significantly colder winters than we do. Um, so that was one of the things I had to try to overcome as well, was the fact that, no, look, this this product, this Jemison, is not just for Irish coffee. So if you're making an Irish coffee, yes, I'd love you to use Jamison, but you can also dot, 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 you know, straight, um, you know, cocktails. Um, And cocktail culture, even in Denmark in 99, 98, wasn't huge. There was only a handful of cocktail bars that we go to, you know. Uh, So it was also... 
you know, I also had uh, Powers and I had the Bushmills bands and I had Middleton. Middleton very much was just for the airport. Um, but you'd sell a few bottles around around Copenhagen and in the Irish pubs anyway. Um, but it was back in the time when, when you know, there was no interest in Redbreast. Um, pot still as a concept had pretty much like disappeared um, from the 1970s really until uh, the turn of this century. Um, so... Yeah, so that that was one of the things that really had to really had to change, and you know, also, you know, one of the other things you'd go into a bar and you'd see like these Scotch brands you'd never heard of before, and they were like cheap, nasty looking Scotch whiskeys. Long John, I remember all the six in my head just because my name, and uh, you know, that was that was used for Irish coffee. So they didn't, they didn't. So one of the one of the other things you had to get across was, well, if you're making an Irish coffee, let's make it an Irish whiskey in it first, you know. And if you got this whiskey, well, this whiskey, I, I can also come in at a later stage and talk about, um, you know, start doing promotions on, on on whiskey sales or shots or or long drinks or something like that and, and make it bigger. And you know, one of the things that I started doing in, in Denmark is a bit of a cliche, but it, but it absolutely worked. I partnered with a local bar in Copenhagen called the. And uh, I would bring um, Danish um, off-license owners, shop owners, uh, Danish bar people all into this pub. And I would do a masterclass, do a talk. But we would have Irish music. We would have Irish food. We would have an Irish event. And I would partner then for larger events, maybe with Aer Lingus or with Board Falcha. can't remember. I don't think it was a Bordia office in, in Copenhagen back then. Um, so you'd bring the Irishness and you'd get that across because... Irish bars had a really good reputation in, 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 in Copenhagen. When Danish people really wanted to go out and have, have a great party, they would go to an Irish bar. So if you're linking them with that and you're bringing all the Irishness together, you're promoting not just yourself, but you're promoting Brand Ireland, which is something that I've tried to do all my life. Even if I was talking about Laphroaig or Bowmore or in, in Tokyo, I'll somehow manage to talk about Irish whiskey as well. You know? <laughs> right. so it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's one of the things, you know, um, I, I still talk about it to this day. Brand Ireland is, 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 is so, um, is, is such a good concept that we yeah. can piggyback on that and we can get our whiskies into places that other people just don't, don't, don't have that, uh, don't have that going for them, unfortunately, you know, but we do. And, uh, and really in the run up to St. Patrick's Day, you do it as much as you possibly can. Yeah. I mean, they are synonymous with each other. Brand Ireland really is, uh, you know, the driving force, I think, behind the Irish whiskey and, and they just feed back the other way as well. So, mm. uh, interesting. Very much. And, you know, I have, I, I have some of my, some of my, uh, crackpot theories on on the success of Irish whiskey and one of them kind of links in with this brand Ireland thing but I I usually there's something that I call you know the uh, I call it the Bono effect and it you're thinking about um, you know 1980s before before there was any internet or anything like that um, you know people a lot of people's first association or even hearing anything about Ireland um, when the Irish pubs started was firstly Irish pubs and secondly maybe it was the music of you too you know. Yeah. Or, yeah. or the Dubliners or whoever, but you two were universal, you know? And for a lot yeah. of people, a band from Dublin, a band from Ireland, Ireland, what's Ireland? You know, oh, there's an Irish pub after opening in our town. We'll go into this town. That pub is playing uh, U2 music. Oh, this place is cool. What drinks do they have? Oh, what's this black drink with a white head? Oh, Guinness, yeah, I'll try that. Oh, look, there's whiskies. Yeah, Irish is famous for whiskies. I'll try some of those whiskies. So you have yeah. this this type of thing that all that, that, that comes together. And then, you know, you go to things like uh, 10 years later, 15 years later. I remember when Riverdance came to 
in Copenhagen. I partnered with um, the, the opening night and we did sampling and stuff like that. But you think about Riverdance going to Moscow, Riverdance going to Beijing, you know, all these just massive cultural phenomenons. Well, all of a sudden people are not just looking at this, but they're also looking at Ireland. And, yeah. you know, you try to you try to link in with that and you try to use that as a, a in your benefit. And that's that's something that I've, I've certainly tried to do uh, for my career. Yeah, it's certainly around that time, around the Riverdance time, I suppose, that uh, Brand Ireland really started to explode. It's it's when the company, uh, the country started, you know, booming, if you like, mm. uh, whether for good or bad, the boom. But that's another debate. But, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, if you look at how Irish whiskey has developed over the last 20 years of your career. So has it changed how has the perception changed and what's caused that change of perception to, to occur? Yeah. Um, what has changed? Um, massive change and no change, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, when, I, when I started on the, on, on, on the graduate scheme, um, I started straight out of college. That was 97. So 97, um, Cooley was only, you know, Cooley was only up and running in 97. It was up and running, what, uh, eight years, okay? Yeah. Um, and really hadn't established themselves yet. John was doing his best and certainly was getting, uh, was was beginning to get whiskey out there and was starting down the private label uh, side of the business and things like that. Um, so there were two established distillers, and that was Bushmills and, and Middleton. And, and at that stage, both of which were, uh, still part of Pernod Ricard, so they're both under the the one umbrella, and yeah. it depended on the market which one was going to be the priority. But you you were seeing more that Jemison was becoming the priority that was coming from from the top. Yeah, this is the one we're going to focus on. Um, so the biggest change over the past twenty years is certainly the 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 um, the explosion in in the new distilleries and the new brands. But really, that's only that's in the past ten years. Because um, I think Dingle started in 2012, 2011, 2012, I stand to be corrected. But that's only 10 years ago, you know. Yeah. And that was distillery number five because obviously Kilbegan had restarted in, uh, uh, when was it, 07. Um, so uh, that was only five. And then, you know, you, you go through the, the years since then and you see so many. Um, but what hasn't changed, thankfully, is still, you know, People like Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey appeals to a wider demographic than a lot of other whiskies. And again, another my little crackpot theory is going on here, right? I call it the Capri Sun effect. You know, you think of Capri Sun and the drink. Um, now, when my parents were growing up in the 1940s and 1950s in rural county Wicklow, um, if they were thirsty, they got milk from the cow or they got water from the well. Okay, that yeah. was it. Right. Um, even when I was growing up, when I was a child in the 1970s and early 1980s, it was pretty much the same. You know, we, the cow was being milked by my granny. We had the milk um, that we had water from our well. That's what I drank. Now, on special occasions, parties, things like that. Yeah, you might get a Capri Sun or you might get a my you know, drink or a fizzy pop, whatever it is. You know, you look forward to that. OK, yes. um, but look at people today in their 30s and maybe early 40s, but certainly 30s and early 40s, there's been far more access to sweeter styles of drinks. So without actually realizing it, there's an entire generation, a generation maybe maybe just below me, um, who automatically have a sweet taste bud in their mouth without knowing it. Yes. So when they're going to look for alcohol, um, if they're deciding to drink alcohol, and of course today so many more are not drinking alcohol, but if they are, they tend to be more 
uh, directed, not so more directed, but tend to have more of a taste for some of the sweeter styles of drinks. Mm. And I always use, if you look at Ireland as a classic example, over the past 20 years, there have been all these little waves of popular drinks, okay, that become very popular for about two, three years, and then they disappear, and then they're replaced again by something that is really, really sweet. So when I started going out, you know, some of the girls who I hung around with were drinking Perno and Black. I mean, yeah, some I remember of the people that on, 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 the, on, on this might know what that is. That's Perno and Blackcurrant. You know, sickly sweet. I mean, it's like with some of those licorice um, uh, sweets that you can get in, uh, you can get in Lidl that are, yeah. uh, you know, they're licorice and they have a black current center and you, you break into them, you know, um, really, really sweet. Well, that died away pretty quickly, thank God, because it was, it was disgusting. But it was replaced with the beginning of the Alcopop phenomenon. And I'm talking yeah. before Smyrna Vice, but I'm talking, you know, all these brands that have well since disappeared. Okay, so all those crazy brands disappeared. Smirnoff Ice survived and it became the drink that everyone was drinking when I was in my early mid-20s, maybe. Okay, everyone was drinking Smirnoff Ice. Then all of a sudden Smirnoff Ice became unpopular, probably because it bloody rotted everybody's teeth. Um, But, uh, but, you know, it disappeared. And what was it replaced with? It was replaced with Captain Morgan and Coke, you know. And the Captain Morgan wasn't the Captain Morgan that I drank 10 years previously. It was a whole new Captain Morgan. It was a sweet, vanilla, spiced Captain Morgan. But what had it in common with the other waves? It was sweet. And then you go out today, or three years ago, nobody's drinking Captain Morgan and Coke. What are they drinking? They're drinking gin and tonics. And it's not just a gin and tonic that I would have drank uh, years ago where you just go in and you get a a highball glass and you, you cork dry gin and the Schweppes or whatever, you know. No, it's a bloody, it's an Instagrammable tulip with loads of different, um, like it's filled to the brim with, with tonic water, which is going to be full of sugar and sweet. But then you throw in all the other fruits and stuff like that to make it even sweeter, okay? Yeah. So that became really popular. Now that's, over the past few years, that's not as, as popular as it was. And now it's the, the um, uh, what do you call it, the likes of White Claw and things like that. What have yeah. they got in common? They're sweet. So inherently, people have sweet tooths when it comes to alcohol. Now, the Irish whiskey industry is sweeter. I mean, it's one of the cliches, but it's true. Um, and over that same period, it's been rising gradually, thankfully. And I, I, I would hope that we never become one of those waves, because if you're at the top of one of those waves, every wave crashes. And yeah. I don't want the whiskey to get to there. So, But we have been growing gradually and you look to the, the the big markets over the past few years for irish whiskey the likes of the united states of america where did that start from well it started with the great work that perna Ricar were doing but what did they do they focused on a bartenders who in the u.s there there is this uh, concept of a bartender will suggest a drink or the bartender buys you a drink after you've had a few drinks so you incentivize the bartenders to buy a jemison and Buying the Jemison for that 21, 22-year-old, uh, you know, college grad or whatever who's in there who is maybe drinking bourbon or maybe drinking something sweet. You know, well, here's here, here's an Irish whiskey. Oh, wow, what's that? Well, it's Jemison, you know, slam it back. Wow, that's nice, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it does make sense. Uh, you know, you go yeah. to a bar in the States to drink an Irish whiskey, you know, yeah. so uh, that was uh, something that was lacking. But, I mean, I think that sweet trend is <clears> – <throat> permeating not just in in alcohol i think you see it in foods and oh, yeah. as well so um yeah get a loaf of bread and uh, look through it and you're going to see sugar in it um, yeah. you know things like that um so yeah and and, and it is but as i said it's 
it's inherent now. People don't realize it. And I'm, I'm thankfully, I mean, Irish whiskey, we're not doing anything to make it sweet. But, you know, it, it does appeal. But bourbon as well, and people often forget that. Bourbon yeah. is growing quite well internationally too. Um, and not just bourbon, American whiskies. Um, I mean, Jack Daniels, uh, Jim Beam, Maker's Mark. Um, but also, you know, the explosion of craft craft um, distilling in the United States as well um, has, 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 has taken off. And, and bourbon, you know, is, okay, different to Irish, but it does have a sweeter palate than the traditional drink of, you know, of um, the, the generation of the 1970s, which was scotch. Yeah. I just got a count there. I was doing a little bit of research. 2,400 craft distilleries in the States now yeah. producing whiskey. Right. Unbelievable. 2,400. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really, oh, we've a bit to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a bit to go. But I mean, that's, the US kind of adapted a lot before us. If you think of, you know, when it comes to uh, craft brewing um, mm-hmm. in the US, I mean, that really exploded about 15, 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, you go to any city in the US and you're going to find, you know, half a dozen to a dozen craft breweries within a 12 mile radius of wherever you are. Um, you know, so maybe that because that was something that was more prevalent that when it comes to craft distilling, they're more open to trying different things. Whereas in Ireland, traditionally, you've got to remember, um, I think as a, a, a as a nation, we were always very skeptical of new things. And we were always, you know, well, if I haven't heard of it, it must mean it's shite. Unfortunately, was was the Irish mentality and to a certain degree still is. I mean, you look at some of the largest brands in the world. Um, they all want to be in Ireland. Why? Because Irish people like big brands. I mean, you just look at over the years. I mean, isn't the the uh, for a single store the the busiest Domino's in the world is in Tala? I think that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. When Starbucks opened in the Dundrum Town Centre, it was the biggest opening weekend of any Starbucks anywhere in the world. Um, when one of those clothes companies, the one that you uh, know, Victoria's Secrets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the male model, so not Victoria's Secrets, <laughs> the other one. Uh, I can't oh, I don't know. It's for 20-year-old kids. I've never been on it. But anyway, um, when that opened, you know, it broke all records for that company around the world. So Irish people tend to like big brands. And one of the things that, you know, I I discovered certainly in in my early years in Cooley was the most difficult market in the world for us back then was the home market. Because people tend to be, you know... You were a Jemison house, you were a Powers house, you were a Paddy house, you were a Bushmills house, and you drank what your parents drank, you know, generally. Whereas you go to other countries and people flip. You know, they, they, the US uh, people stopped drinking scotch to the same extent as being drank in the 60s and 70s because it was being drank like that in the 60s and 70s. And they flipped to bourbon and then they flipped to to, to Irish. Another example I always use from my time in, in Denmark is the two biggest breweries in Denmark are Tuborg and Carlsberg. Okay. They're both owned by Carlsberg, but one generation, Carlsberg is the biggest beer in Denmark. The next generation, it's Tuborg. And it just flips backwards and forwards every generation. You know, they're both owned by the same thing. So they're all happy, but it's yeah. just because I'm going out or I've started drinking in Denmark. I think you're 16 or 17 when you start drinking beer, your dad's drinking Tuborg. Well, I'm not going to drink Tuborg. I'm going to drink Carlsberg. You know, that never happened in Ireland. You know, no, people, no just stuck to what they knew. Now, again, we're seeing that beginning to change in Ireland as well with A, craft beers, which have been for maybe the past 10 years, um, and, and B, now all, all, all the new distilleries and all the new brands. So, yeah, hopefully we'll continue. 
Yeah, I, I do see a trend, John, developing where people are looking for the, uh, uh, trying to discover the next big thing and, yeah. you know, trying to, trying the unknown as well. So, I mean, that's a, a great thing as well. The, mm-hmm. You know, they're opening their horizons and, and, and what's out there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You mentioned there, that, of course, that you did that graduate program. Where did you go from there, John? Um, I've, I, I, the graduate program back then was only a single year, um, mm-hmm. but um, I was kept on for a second year. I think it was the first first person ever to be kept on a second year in the graduate scheme back then. And we kind of moved around a few things. And I, I stayed in Copenhagen for a second year and I took on more responsibility for actually uh, bars in Copenhagen as well. So I became an on-trade sales rep for the distributor as well as the responsibilities for the Irish portfolio. Um, and then after two years, I was offered a full-time position in Copenhagen. And it was just one of those scenarios um, I had to you know, make up on mind. Was I going to stay in Denmark and, and, and root down in Copenhagen or move back to Ireland. Well, Dublin was a foreign city to me. I'm not from Dublin. Okay, I went to school in Dublin, but Dublin was as foreign as Copenhagen was. And yeah. uh, one of my best friends from Copenhagen had just moved home to to, uh, to to Dublin and was renting a house. And he said, look, if you want to come back, you know, there's a room for you in this house. So I said, yeah. So I... I, I came back and I remember just, you know, a few days after I got back, I got a phone call from Peter Cologli, who was the, he was the sales manager or sales director for Ireland with, with um, Irish distillers. And he just said, um, have you anything lined up? I said, oh, I've sent off my CV to a few places, you know. And uh, he said, well, if you come in to me on Monday, I'll give you a job straight away. So I came back to Dublin and started working in sales for, uh, for Irish distillers. And that, I have to say, was a bit of a, a change because I was coming from Denmark where, you know, Irish whiskey was all I was about. And yeah. I was coming back to Ireland working for the company that was responsible for those Irish whiskey brands. But there was no interest in those Irish whiskey brands in Ireland. Um, there was a struggle to sell Jamison and Powers and Paddy. Nobody was interested in expanding a portfolio. Nobody was interested in having more. Certainly in, you know, rural Cavan, there was Powers on the shelf and that was it. You know, you weren't going to get anything else in there. And, you know, Irish distillers back then, it was it was about the wines. It was about um, Long Mountain from South Africa. It was about um, Jacob's Creek. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and then the big volume players, um, Hussar, uh, Cork Dry Gin, which was the only gin in Ireland at the time, you know, really. Um, um, Kiskadi Rum, I think it was, another brand just, just came into my head there now. I think that was yeah. something we added in the Irish distillers as well. So that was a bit of a sea change because I was I was gung-ho on whiskeys for two years and then all of a sudden it's like I'm going in and say, oh, well, I have this whiskey. No, not interested. No, we just want powers. But, you know, what deal can you do on Hazar for me? You know, so it was a bit of, I was kind of like, ooh, what, what have I gotten into here? You know, so I, I did that for a few years and then got out of, the, got out of that um, and when Cuisine de France was starting up and joined Cuisine de France in sales. And as I said, the, the, the best thing to come out of that was I met my wife. Um, she was the marketing manager for Cuisine de France. And uh, as I said, I was a, a lowly uh, country sales rep. Um, but something clicked. And um, and then I uh, worked briefly in Gilby, so I got back into the drinks industry. But then I had a chance meeting with John Teeling, and that changed my career forever. Um, and I remember I met John. I uh, met him in his office in 162 Clontarf Road, um, uh, where he has been from ever since he left college, in the, in the same little small office at the front of the building. And um, I met Jack as well, um, his son, Jack Teeling. Uh, Jack was just beginning to take over the reins in Cooley. Uh, this was back in 2006. 
And uh, I met met with John and Jack and sat there for probably an hour and a half, just 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 chatting about everything, you know. And uh, and uh, I I remember I driving out of there, and within an hour I got a phone call from recruiter just saying to me, I don't know what you said to John Teening, but he wants to give you a job straight away. And I was like, Cool, yeah, let's start. Well, John um, doesn't impress easily, so you must have done no, something. Yeah, you must have yeah. done something very right. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, I was delighted and I, you know, I owe, owe him a debt of gratitude. And I say that, you know, ever since he's been like my business mentor. I, I've learned so much working for John Teeling um, than I did in the rest of my career. Okay, when I started off, there was a man called Michael Bore, a Danish guy um, who was, uh, who was, it's, he lives and lives in Greystones and he was working with Irish distillers. And, uh, you know, he, he brought me in. Um, then uh, John Teeling, you know, really set me, set me on my path. And, you know, I started working with, with John. And John said, look, basically said, I don't have a job for you, but I don't want you working for anyone else. So I was like, cool. So I'll come in one day and started with new business development, uh, basically just knocking on doors. And uh, within a few weeks, I was running the Irish market for them, um, which was uh, which was great because that they were the exciting years in Cooley Distillery. You know, Um, we had nothing apart from really good whiskey. You know, Um, we had no no marketing spend we couldn't afford to do things everything had to be thought through uh, you know we really had to you know mind the pennies and i used to always use an analogy that you know what jemison spent on the film festival in dublin was more than our entire budget worldwide for marketing you know yeah. and that's what it was about so it was almost guerrilla like tactics it was doing different things wherever we could i remember just building up a relationship with with the publisher of the of the the match day programs for the irish rugby team in in Lansdowne road you know so six nations games four days before it he's got a free page and he just calls yeah. me up John, I have a spare page. I'm missing and someone's pulled out. Do you want it? You know, knowing that I could turn it around quite quickly and boom, you're in a you're in a Six Nations game, you're flicking through it, and all of a sudden there's a there's a Cooley distillery. <laughs> you think you're almost looking twice at it, going, How did this happen? You know? So it's that. But then it was also, you know, also something along the lines of, you know, the the Okay, things were beginning to change, and 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 Irish distillers were beginning to put a focus on on their whiskies domestically here in Ireland, but not to a huge extent. You know, I was going around and knocking on doors, just like I did in Copenhagen. I was calling into the the Willie Hearns of the Palace Bar when there was no whiskey. On, there was whiskey, but there wasn't what there is today. And telling the stories and and, and suggesting what they should do. Going going to the chalks, going to uh, Marcus Houlihan Long Hall. Um, I just had this concept that you know you go to good traditional Irish pubs and you you just tell them about Irish whiskey. They're famous. They're famous for pulling great pints, but they should also be famous for having good whiskey on the back bar as well and, yeah. and, and telling the story and, and giving the entire story of Irish whiskey and telling them how Irish whiskey dominate and these were stories that people weren't telling anyone in Ireland you know and and you know really evangelizing whatever the word is you know the uh, the category yeah. and uh, you know it was I was the only one doing it at that stage you know and, and, and why were you doing it John I mean what was it that you found uh <laughs> Or how did you find that niche that nobody else was really pushing? You know, because you were obviously promoting the whole category, uh, talking about the historical side of it as well, and talking it was our our national drink. Uh, How did that come about? You know, because that wasn't being done. 
No, it wasn't being done. And I, I think it was because, again, I can go back to my tour guiding experience. You know, I love telling a story. I loved, you know, when I was in Glendalough, bringing people around Glendalough, telling them the story, the round tower, the historical facts, all those things. I had I had personal relationships insofar as my grandparents are buried in, in Glendalough in the old cemetery, you know. So there were things like that. It was this personal thing. And I took it personally. In all my career, when I've been working with certain brands, I've, I've taken them personally, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I felt at the time that, you know, certainly these brands they needed to be out there and you need to be talking about them and just like a barman when uh, an american was walking in and you, you'd give a bit of a spiel about the guinness or whatever and, oh you know it's it's better here because sure isn't the brewery just up there yeah. well also let's talk about you know well do you know do you know this 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 liquid here was invented in ireland you know this is our national drink you know, you might think it's Guinness, but no, it's actually this. It's this what you have in your glass. It's this Turconnell, which is after a, a racehorse that won at odds of 100 to 1. You know, it's or it's this peated single malt or it's it's whatever. You know, I just thought there was a story there and people like stories. And you yeah. you can build a brand around around a good definitive story, but it'll only work if the liquid is good. You know, yeah. and in Cooley, we had exceptionally good liquid, but we struggled to get liquid on lips because people were not interested in whiskey. A, bars weren't interested in taking it on, and B, consumers weren't. How many times still today do you hear you talk to, you jump into the back of a taxi and uh, taxi and I, I wear, I wear whatever, you know, and uh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I sell whiskey. Uh, Madman's drink. Madman's drink. Never got you. Yeah. You know, so you're 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 constantly breaking down barriers, you know, because certainly as as my coolie career uh, changed paths slightly and I moved maybe away from direct sales and more into the ambassadorial work, you know, I'm traveling to other countries and I'm seeing how they drink whiskey and I'm getting ideas from different bars and I'm getting ideas from different liquor stores and I'm coming back. And then, you know, the people who I've built up relationships with Ireland, I'm telling them, well, there's this bar in New York City and, you know, every time you buy a whiskey there, you get separately, you know, a little thing of ice or you get some 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 mineral water. It's not tap water. Mineral water is on a little, a, a little uh, uh, you know, a jug beside it. And you know what? They can charge a premium for that because it's the theatre. It's, yes. it's it's the entire effect. And then people are looking over and seeing someone being handed this and, wow, that looks good. What's that? Well, oh, that's an Irish with That's Kilbegan or whatever, you know, or for Cullen. Well, obviously it wasn't back then. I need to throw the brand in every now and then. But, you know, um, so, you know, it's, it's just seeing these things and bringing those ideas and those concepts back to Ireland, really. Uh, yeah. But uh, you're right. Nobody was doing it, you know. Yeah. I just Were you... Were you? Did you feel the underdog back then when in in the Cooley Kilwegan days? Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, def definitely. We yeah no, and there's no doubt we had a chip on our shoulder um, about that. Uh, yeah, we felt like the underdog because nobody was paying us any attention. We felt like you should be. And then you know we get to a scenario where Kilwegan Fifteen becomes the the first and still to this day only Irish blended whiskey ever to be named the world's best blended whiskey. You know, yeah. at the World Whiskey Awards. Uh, incidentally, I was judging the blended category um, last night um, for the World Whiskey Awards, and uh, certainly the the whiskies that that I had top were not Irish. You know, so yeah. um, and and that's not is because I have to look at it completely. I have to 
move away from what I like it has to be about the liquid itself you know what, 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 what it, the quality of the actual liquid um, so yeah we, we had a chip on our shoulder I said Kilbegan 15 won this award and in Ireland I'm going around saying you know this whiskey here has just been named the best whiskey in the world yeah. so what well, well was it Connemara really that put Cooley more strongly on the map though um, possibly because of the point of differentiation but yeah. Connemara sold very little in Ireland. You yes. know, there was really no interest in Ireland. Um, uh, Turconnell was probably one of the better sellers in Ireland, to be honest. Um, yeah. And there was a few things done. Um, used to sponsor the 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 um, crossword on the back of the Sunday Independent for years. Yeah, you know things yeah. like that would stick in people's mind. You know, it was still or, such an underrated whiskey as oh, well at the price points that they are. I mean, yeah, fifteen and sixteen-year-old single malts for ninety yeah. euro and cheaper on discount. You know, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, phenomenal, phenomenal quality. Um, and Kilbegan was always a bit of a struggle, you know. But Kilbegan would be the volume play. That'd be the one you'd see in the supermarkets and then whatever, you know. But yeah, we had a chip on our shoulder, and you know, we got that. We got world's best whiskey, and then the year later, we became the first distillery um, to be named the world's best distillery, um, and uh, you know, the first Irish distillery ever to get that. You know, and that, that was a fun time. You know, I remember making those ads and putting them in match day programs of the Six Nations games. And I remember we put a, we, uh, you know, back in the day, you, you don't see it so much anymore. But, you know, you get a, you get a, a big billboard and you put it on the back of a truck and you drive the truck around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember the, uh, the devils in us, you know, it was, uh, one day, um, it was just after, just after we won it. We had the, we'd hired the truck for three days, and we, you, you set them a route. This is where you want them to go, and uh, I put in a little stipulation that go down around Balls Bridge around lunchtime, and maybe pull up outside uh, on Simmons Court Road um, around <laughs> lunchtime. And I would pulled up directly outside the Irish distillers' offices. It was like a, it was pure shit houseery, excuse my language. You know? yeah. So we yeah. did that. And uh, on the side of it is, you know, world's best distillery, Cooley Distillery. And I'd say within 15 minutes, our financial controller in, 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 in the business got a phone call from someone from Irish distillers just saying, look, well done, congratulations, move the effing truck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think... Uh, the fact that you were uh, smaller, you were competing heavily, and you had the limited resources, obviously meant that you had to be more creative. I've got a, I've got Tom. How'd you go? Hi. <laughs> Hi, Tom. That's our youngest. Uh, our youngest guest. Youngest. Yeah, that's my youngest. It's all right. Yeah. Very good. Um, no, I just uh, I think because my my middle lad, um, whose age is all about YouTube, and when he heard ah. that he was streaming live on YouTube, that for him was just made. I'm I'm dad of the year because of that. So I'd say oh. to have it on in there, and then Tom wanted to see what's going on. But anyway, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, sorry, I I didn't catch that, Sergius. No, I'm just saying the fact that you were the underdog, that you did have a limited budget, meant that you really had to. One, be involved in all aspects of the business. And secondly, be far more creative with a lot less. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that st- stood to you, obviously, uh, going yeah. forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, um, you had to, you know. And yeah. and also there was no escaping the hard, the hard yards and the hard work. Um, yeah. And, you know, 
obviously the other side of the coolie business was the private label and the and the uh, supermarket brand business sure. you know which which financed the company you look let's face facts and yeah. i used to always say you know i opened up i opened up um a few of those, um, one of which, like, was Aldi, um, back in the early years. Um, but I remember going through the 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 ringer to try to get a listing in Aldi, and uh, all the buying directors coming in and sampling it, bringing Noel Sweeney along with me, you know, to 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 talk the talk, and uh, eventually getting a listing. But I remember that day going home to my wife saying, "We haven't shopped in Aldi ever at that stage," and saying, "Look." Yeah. Um, we're going to shop in Aldi this weekend. She goes, why, why, why Aldi? You know, and I said, well, if they put every supplier through what I've just had to go through to get a listing, yeah. they have the best quality product in Ireland at the best price. You know, right. um, since yeah. then, Aldi's where we shop every every weekend. Since then, you know, um, so yeah, you know, you 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 open that, and that private label business was what financed the brands, yeah. and you know. The beauty of working with an Aldi or a Lidl or whoever is you got paid. You got paid on time. Mm. Um, so that money is then reinvested into the brands, which literally is, it was so hand to mouth that, you know, we're paid by that. Well, that's going to allow me to go over to America for two weeks and start walking through one end of Greenville Avenue in Dallas uh, to the far end, knocking on doors, carrying boxes of whiskey, sampling folk. You know, yeah. and building it up the long, the hard way, and you know, and and that's how a lot of brands start off down there. I remember uh, meeting a guy, John. I can't remember his surname, but he had a Canadian whiskey brand, and he literally spent all the time in 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 um in Texas, just just knocking on doors, wearing out shoe leather, and uh, he was eventually, you know, it was a one man operation, and uh, he was bought out by Campari for millions you know right. but just mm-hmm. built it up that way 20 years just boom boom the whole time knocking on doors building up the brand and that's the only way you could because we couldn't we couldn't take out advertising we couldn't sponsor bartenders we couldn't sponsor big events we couldn't do anything like that yeah. um we had the liquid we had quality liquid but we just didn't have didn't have the money um but your big day did come i mean obviously yeah, the, yeah, it did. so beam Tory came in and uh it was Beam at the time. Um, Beam came first uh, yeah, and then Centauri uh, came. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they did in uh, 2011, 2012, I think the deal went through. And it was huge news Yeah, because we were just coming out of the sort of crash. Everything was on a low ebb. And then all of a sudden, overnight success, Cooley Distillery is sold. You know, yeah. overnight success. John started. Uh, 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He first had the idea in 1972 or 1971, you know. Um, so... Yeah, it made headline news. I remember, I remember just every newspaper in Ireland was on the headlines. Um, I, I remember even seeing a copy of the New Delhi Times in India. Okay. <laughs> it was going that really, well. yeah. It was fascinating. Well, it was fascinating yeah. to see that, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was good. And um, and then there was a, obviously a big change. Um, yeah. Both internally, the Teelings exited the business, um, but also just ways of thinking, you know. Mm. Um, in, in the Cooley days, it was a scenario where, I, you know, I'd come up with an idea. I'd go down to Jack. Jack, what do you think of this? Jack says, yeah, sounds good. Go for it. Let's do it. And we do it, you know. Beam wasn't like that at all, you know. No. A lot of red tape, big multinationals. It's different speed, different things. The other side of it was all of a sudden we had money. We could invest. We could sponsor events. I remember sponsoring events in L.A., you know, um, that, uh, you know, they were, you know, sponsoring, you know, red carpet events, all that type of stuff. Um, when they launched when they launched the brands um, like in, in New York City, there were billboards in New York. Um, 
when around St. Patrick's Day, um, again, around the launch, it was a, a guy who worked for a distributor here in Ireland, was over in New York with his wife, hopped into a taxi, and the back of the, the, back of the, 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 the seats in the cabs in New York, there's different screens that are putting up ads or putting up, you know, the map of where you're going and stuff like that. Yeah. A map for, or sorry, an advertisement for Kilbegan popped up on it. You know, it was a yeah. different world all of a sudden, and it was uh, it was interesting. It was a very interesting time. How did it change then like, again when uh, Suntory came and took over Beam? Um, there wasn't a huge change. Um, maybe um, how to put this nicely? Maybe some of the more extravagant spending was rolled back. Okay. Um, I think uh, Suntory had much more of a longer-term focus, a generational mm-hmm. focus, um, rather than your typical American uh, multinational, which is, you know, financial period to financial period. Um, and I like the Suntory times. You know, obviously my role changed as well with when Suntory got involved because I not only um, was responsible for the Irish whiskies, but I took on as, you know, global brand ambassador for Scotch, bourbon and Japanese. Um, A bit of of, uh, Canadian as well, depending on what market I was in. So, um, you know, thoroughly enjoyable time. Um, And it was great to just see the difference, the different nuances and the different emphases that a company like that have on different spirit brands and different whiskies and and, and, uh, how they work with them. So, you know, it was was brilliant. I mean, I remember speaking at Suntory Hall in Tokyo. I was asked to present at the the Suntory National Sales Conference. So this is like one of the the great orchestral uh, concert hall venues in the world. Yeah. And here's a, you know, a sheep farmer from County Wicklow standing on stage talking to 1900 people, simultaneous translation about Irish whiskey. You know, yeah. I had yeah. to pinch myself. It was like, geez, where's this come from? <laughs> well, know? I mean, you must have been one of the first, if not the first global brand ambassador. Um, um, well, John Quinn, I'm sure would. John uh, Quinn would argue with that one. Yeah, yes, would argue, and uh, I, I, I don't tend to win arguments with John Quinn. Yeah. Uh, but it was really just John and myself. Yeah, the two Johns. Yeah. Um, uh, John probably was more so in sort of South America and places like that, whereas I was, I was doing a hell of a lot more in, um, yeah, in Asia um, uh, and America. Though John obviously was in America, but you got to also remember um, Tullamore as well around that time. You know. Uh, bigger organization uh, they were getting a lot of a graduate brand ambassadors so they would have had people all around the world anyway like yeah. like i started off with you know um whereas we didn't now i started i introduced that into 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 beam centauri and uh, i started off the graduate program and we got some great some great graduates over the years and it, it still makes me proud to see some of them that i took on who have gone to you know really big roles not just in the in the drinks industry but in other industries as well you know they got their start you know learning learning from us so um you know that that's great great but yeah as far as yeah probably yeah myself and john quinn certainly yeah yeah and what was it like in those days going around you know uh world representing ireland if you like in terms of the whiskey yeah it it, it was brilliant you know um really really great um I got, look, I, I look at it and I was exhausted the whole time, but you're dealing with different different uh, different time zones and things like that. Um, but at the same time, I'm seeing parts of the world I never thought I would ever see. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm spending, you know, I'm working in the US for over, you know, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. So, yeah, I'm going to spend a weekend in San Francisco. 
you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, dream job, absolute dream job. Um, but, you know, tough because you're, you're, you're up early, A, because you're jet lagging, you're waking up early, but B, you're being picked up at eight o'clock, half eight in the morning. You're not getting back to your hotel till maybe midnight, one o'clock or something like that, you know, yeah. so they're long old days. Um, and, and then especially when I, when it was, not just the Irish, but when I was working with Beaumont or Laphroaig or Jim Beam, you know, they're much bigger brands, let's face facts. And so there's more expectations on it. Um, and like I remember traveling around Southeast Asia, we were launching the uh, Beaumont Mizunara cask. And it was mm-hmm. the first single malt, uh, Scottish single malt to be finished in Mizunara oak. And I remember going around with this bottle because we didn't have enough bottles to send to every market. So I'm going around with this bottle in my bag from Jakarta to, to, to Singapore to Hong Kong to wherever, you know, and, uh, I'm talking about Scotch whiskey. Um, so I was able to flip it over. And when you're outside of Ireland and Scotland, nobody knew, you know, yeah. the accents don't really matter. So it didn't matter. John Cashman wasn't an Irishman talking about Scotch whiskey. That meant nothing to them. I was just a non-local talking about Scotch whiskey, someone from the distillery. Um, so that was great. But, you know, as I, as I said, I would always try to get something in about Irish whiskey, even if I was talking about Beaumont or Laphroaig. And it just it just became known in the industry. That's what I would do, you know. And um, Did you have any conception at all of uh, how significant uh, the role that you were doing for Irish whiskey was at the time? Not at the time, no. I still don't really, because, I mean, there were so many others doing, as in, you know, graduates well, there were very few you know doing yeah. the global brand side yeah, doing the global no you're right on that no i i never really put much thought into it it's one of those things you don't realize you're doing until till people say it back to you you yeah. know saying like i heard you talk about irish whiskey and you know what it changed it changed yeah. the way i approach things now and i've i've changed my business because of what you've said or I've, you know, uh, uh, things, but even, even on one of the great things about, about this role and what, what, what I've done previously was, you know, just on a person to person level, you're going into some liquor store in rural wherever, Pennsylvania, right? Uh, well, no, that's a bad example. They're all government liquor stores, but some, some other state, right? And um, you have a small group of maybe 20 people and you're giving your talk, you're giving your spiel and you're, you're sampling through a range of different whiskeys. And you're close yeah. enough to be able to visually see reactions and changes and you hear sounds, who's as like, or, or people puckering or whatever, you know? Yeah. But sometimes you'll see something in someone's eyes change, just flicker, just yeah. a realization. Wow. I like yeah. that, you know? And inside you, you now know, you know, it sounds, again, it sounds a bit ridiculous, but you've changed her life. Yeah. You know, not in any major way. Well. But you've now given them a new experience. They, up to that point, had never experienced. And from then on, that might just become their go-to drink. That might be the thing that brings them pleasure when they're having, uh, you know, an alcoholic beverage. That might be every time they drink it, a little flicker happens. That smile appears. Yeah. And that, yeah. for me was reassuring and that for me was you know what made me get up in the morning to do it to do that yeah. job you know and it was it, was great. it must be very fulfilling as well uh, john to look back and and at that role that he did and you know very much as you said yourself and and john as well uh, being the role models for brand ambassadors throughout the industry yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not things I think about. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't think about that way. Um, yeah. 
you know, yeah, I still get people come up to me who, who see an old YouTube clip of me from maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago, whatever. It's sort of saying, you know, yeah, I learned really a lot there and now I'm using that. And that that's great, you know, because, you know, I've picked up things from hanging out with Fred Noah, Jim Beam or John Campbell of Laphroaig. Now, now, um, Lock, whatever the new whiskey, Lockley, Lockley whiskey, yeah. um, you know, um, Bill Samuels, uh, uh, senior or junior, I mean, in, in Maker's Mark. I mean, I've been fortunate. I've, I've hung around with some of these icons of the whiskey industry. Um, you know, uh, Sinji Fukuyo of, of, of Suntory. You know, some of the all-time great blenders, great distillers. And I've learned things from them. Um, yeah. I've even learned things from from John Quinn. <laughs> well, well, we won't tell John that. No, we won't. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose I wanted to ask you, uh, What's a, what are the biggest lessons you've taken away that are non-whiskey related from your from your experiences? Um, non-whiskey related. I suppose people are ultimately and intrinsically the same all around the world. Certainly, although we have to bring whiskey into it somehow. I mean, if people yeah. are going out having a whiskey and enjoying themselves, they're out to enjoy themselves and they want to enjoy themselves. Just yeah. like if I go out with my mates of a Saturday night after a rugby match and we're having a few pints of Guinness, you know, we're out to enjoy ourselves. You know, yeah. and people going out to have a few whiskeys with their mates, they're the exact same. It's just the way they drink it might be different. Yeah. How they drink it. Um, where they drink it might be different. But, I have lots of uh, comments, uh, lovely comments, and uh, a couple of questions just in here, yeah, uh, yeah, John, yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah, no uh, so, uh, Big album up north. Uh he says, would you ask John, well, here, I put it up. Oh, great. Uh, if you reckon the boom in craft distilleries can be sustained? Um, I would fear that it can't, unfortunately, um, for a few more, a few more reasons. Um, the Irish market is too small to, to sustain them all. So everyone has to look to, to go abroad for, um, um, for export. Okay. Um, and that's really how you're going to sustain yourselves. Now it's all great. You all think, Oh, everyone look at how, how quick it's moving in the United States of America, right? Let's get there. Well, that's not, you get there. It's only beginning. Okay. Because that's where the real work comes into it. But getting there in the first place is going to be difficult because there are less and less importers now. You think of, you look at the global world of spirits over the past few years, different amalgamations, another child's going to bed, good night, um, different amalgamations of companies just eating up other companies. I mean, just, just look at example, Beam and Suntory, Beam was, Beam and Centauri. John, working. let's get the kids on so they can have their YouTube. They're gone. They're, they're gone, are they? Ah. Uh, uh, so uh, just look at Beam and Centauri. There were two separate companies that potentially could have had Irish whiskey, and then they're amalgamated. Now, that's down to one company with Irish whiskey brands. You know what I mean? So this sure. is happening everywhere, not just on that global scale, but also on a local scale where different importers are being bought up, especially in the United States where, you know, the big guys, the Republic National or whoever, you know, are – feeding up and, and eating up the smaller guys. So the route to market is getting a lot more difficult. It is becoming far more difficult to get your product into the into the market. So um, that's one of the things people, I, I don't think, realize. They think, okay, it's almost like the, the uh, um, you know, the movie, whatever it is, uh, build it and they will come. You know, build yeah. your distillery, get your liquid out there, and then yeah, it's made. Well, yeah. you know, it took John Teeling 20-odd years to make it. 
you know. Well, look, you saw it in the software industry as well, John. You know, uh, Irish development companies thinking they could go in and, uh, and go into the states, and you know, they burnt ten million without even making a dent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, it can be something that, that oh, it is, it is, and unfortunately, you know, I fear that there will be there will be some um, some some um, hitting the skids over the next few years, um, and 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 I'm sure there's some big guys out there just waiting for that to happen in order to hoover up a distillery with all the equipment and stuff like that and a small amount of stock. Um, now, the other side of that, why, like sincerely, I hope it never happens. But one of the other reasons why I hope it never happens is what will happen to that stock? Who will get their hands on that stock? And how will that stock then be distributed or sold or what will happen to it? And I think that that's a fear uh, I have as well. Um, but right now, you know, it looks great. It looks great now. But I, I don't think anyone goes into it with their eyes closed. I don't think anyone goes into it knowing they're going to make a quick buck. Um, you should. Whiskey isn't something like that. It's a I lot of I suppose it's a little bit like the craft brewing side of things, you know, in which the small craft brews essentially get, we saw the, the case of that uh, brew dog, was it? Or how, yeah. where they were taken over by uh, big multinationals. So that may well, may well happen. Let's, uh, let's um, move on then. You, yeah. you, your time in, um, in Beam Story came to an end. When was it? Uh, 2000 yeah just just beginning of uh just beginning the pandemic um which oh, great timing uh, yeah. <laughs> the uh yeah i left i left beam centauri in january of uh we're 22 or 21 20 yeah so january 20 i left beam centauri and i uh you know i got a lot of phone calls when i went public that uh, that i was leaving them and a lot of offers and I, um, to every single person, I said, look, um, I'm taking some time out. Um, you know, yeah. I've been traveling so much. My kids had only known daddy was on an airplane, you know. Um, so I was taking time out. And um, I said to everyone, call me back in April. Yeah. yeah. And March happened. Um, so the phone didn't ring again in April. So I had to change, you know, pretty quickly. And uh, I, I, I decided to start doing uh, different um, different gigs for different people, um, yeah. you know, be it ambassadorial work online um, or liquid liquid development, uh, assessing product, um, you know, suggesting, suggesting releases, all that type of stuff. I did some work menu selections for, you know, a, a four-star, five-star hotel, you know, changed our whiskey menu, um, suggested things like that. And, yeah, you did whatever you could. And then, yeah, you did um, a lot of consultancy, though. I did, yeah, yeah, small, small things, nothing major. Um, uh, um, and, uh, and then I went back out on the road again. Um, for eight periods of time, I had I had a contract that had ended early, but I was being mm -hmm. paid up for a few more months, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, due to a change of at uh, the head of that company. So yeah. I, I I just saw something that um, a company, Grace O'Malley, were looking for someone on the road um, yeah. for Musgraves and BWG, and I just went. I was getting, you know, I was being paid for the work that I wasn't doing with this contract that had ended, you know? And I said, hell, let's get back out on the road again. And by that said, it was a year into pandemic. You want, like I was going stir crazy because yeah. I was used to traveling so much, you know? Yeah, of course. Uh, and uh, so I went out on the road um, for Grace O'Malley for three months and it was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. I was calling into stores again, something I hadn't done for about 15 years, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, so I, I was doing 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 that. And I was really enjoying, especially the liquid development work. And, and uh, there were some distilleries I was working a bit more with, you know, and, and helping them uh, come up with new releases and suggesting what what should be released. And uh, and some of which have gone on uh, to do quite well. So I'm quite proud of those. But obviously they're all confidential ones. Um, but um, you know, and one of the other things I'd always been in contact with Powerscourt um, yeah. throughout all the time um, because obviously Noel and myself go way back, um, mm-hmm. you know, from from Cooley Distillery days. So I consider Noel a, a good personal friend and uh, Noel and I also were IWC judges. Um, I think for most of the years we were the only two from Ireland uh, judging whiskey for IWC. So you're with the likes of Richard Patterson and you're with Dr. Bill Lumsden and you're with like all these, again, icons. And that was one of my other pinch me moments. I'm sitting here with these guys who are Hall of Famers, whiskey. Some of them yeah. are even knighthoods, you know. And yeah. here I am, you know, Farmer County Wicklow sitting in there. Um, but, you know, so myself and Noel, um, we're always in contact with each other. And uh, and then um, the then um, CEO of Power Squad as well, Alex Pierce, he and I um, would, would uh, you know, we touch base every few weeks or every few months we touch base. And then uh, around this time last year, kind of when the last, uh, you know, one of the – one of the lockdowns was beginning to to to, to open up again. Alex yeah. um, Alex called me and uh, just said, "John, do you want to meet up?" I, you know, we'd met a few times. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay." So we met up again, and he said, "Look, do you want to do a bit of work for us?" I said, "Well, it makes sense." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was handy so, window as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. There wasn't a long commute. Um, so yeah, I started just doing a bit of consultancy work with with Powerscourt on a on a part time basis. Um, I still had some of my other projects going on, um, but then part time started getting a bit more a bit more full time without being full time. Yeah, and, uh, and then uh, you know, yeah, then a few weeks ago, I was uh, I was offered the position of um, you know the head of whiskey. So yeah, oh, there was a so lot. head of whiskey, head of whiskey, and new product development. So congratulations, firstly, it's a it's a quite a prestigious role and it's quite all encompassing. So, I mean, what what does that role really entail now? It's pretty much, you know, yeah, everything that I do, you know. So, um, obviously, Noel Sweeney left the business um, in January of this year, which, um, you know, you can't replace somebody like Noel Sweeney. You know, it's impossible. The man is Hall of Fame. The man is, uh, you know, the only only, uh, person in the Hall of Fame who's both a master blender and a master distiller, you know. And nobody can argue he is a master blender and a master distiller. You know, it might be a makey up thing that a lot of people use, but in Noel's case, it's it's deserved. No, you know, fully justified. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and um, so he he really had set set the groundwork. He brought power Scourt and, and and the type of whiskey that they're making, and and of course the whiskey that they acquired, um, mm-hmm. and, and and done had done all the releases um, up until the end of this year. Um, and I said all along, I'm neither a distiller nor a blender. I've no scientific background, yeah. but with the exception of Noel Sweeney and maybe Sarah Dowling, nobody knows the liquid out of Cooley distillery better than I do. Yeah. So the, the, um, obviously all the, 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 the pre-purchase liquid that PowerScore has is all ex I mean, that's well known. I'm not. I'm not breaking any confidentiality agreement there. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, I know, I know that liquid. I know what to do with it. I know how it works. I know what it tastes like. I know how it finishes. I know what works well with it. I know what work doesn't work well with it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the liquid that Noel had started distilling in, in, in Power Scorch was what I would call Noel Sweeney liquid. It's light, it's fruity, it's full of maltiness. It's, 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 it's really delicate, but clean spirit. I know that style as well, you know? So, you know, part of my role now is to preserve that. Um, The guys know how to distill. I'm not a distiller. I'm not going to tell them how to distill. They know how to do that, you know? But I know the liquid. And I and now I'm sort of playing around with some of the liquids and suggesting certain things. So that's one side of it. I mean, the other side of it is is this whole new product development and coming up with new ideas and new product, uh, bringing that to market. Obviously, PowerScore is in a scenario now whereby yes, it has the age stock, but B, its um, its own liquid has turned three years of age. It did last August. Now yeah. I vetoed an early release of that because I just didn't think it was ready. Um, uh, because you can only make a first impression once. And I want I want it to be absolutely right. Um, so that's that's taking up a large part of my of my day right now is working on that project because it's not just it's not just the liquid is the easy side of it. And that's something I learned from Noel. The liquid is easy. It's all the rest of it that that I now have to manage. You know, yeah. um, and especially with timelines today when you know everyone knows that you know just logistics are slower everything is slower and so i look at okay we want to launch in october well Mm -hmm. what do we need for that well we need a bottle we need a capsule we need you know a cork we need labels we need you know all of these things Okay, well, what's the timeline of getting these and start working it back and start managing that? And also what we're looking to release now, you know, in the future is going to be, it's going to be the cornerstone of, of Fair Cullen. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be Power Scored Distillery Liquid. It's, it is what the distillery is going to be famous for. You yeah. know, it's, 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 it's what's going to make Power Scored Distillery. everything has to be right so a lot of work and then there's the other side of it you know there's the 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 conceptual side of it you know um where are people going to drink it how are they going to drink it you know um what's going to appeal to what are we going to make it look like what's it going to feel like you know all of these things easiest part is the liquid (laughs) just a couple of questions and uh obviously with power sport the brand having so tightly bound itself to 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 Noel's name, if you like, and being synonymous with, uh, yeah, you know, being the master distiller mm-hmm. that he is, that he is, and uh, and also losing the ex- experience as well of, of the Pierce family, I suppose, as well. Is a uh, how do you pivot, uh, and what's the future plan to, you know, you know, you base so much on the fact that uh, Noel produced the liquid and so forth. Um, how do you adjust? How do you pivot? How do you continue on from from yeah. what is a big setback? There's no easy way. No, it's yeah. but from now on, and one of the things that I'm getting across to the company is from now on, um, everything has to be about the liquid. Because yeah. it's the liquid that people are gonna buy. They're not buying it because it was made by somebody. Mm-hmm. They're not buying it well. The way it looks does come into it slightly because people are visual and, uh, and people sure. will, will purchase what looks good. <laughs> Excuse me. But 
the liquid is what's important. So that's what I uh, what I'm trying to get across, and what, what, what we're going to do is focus on the liquid from here on in. The liquid is good. Yeah. Let's make that the brand story, not the person who made it, um, yeah. or an association with another distillery. No, it's going to be all about the liquid. There was a there's a great book, and I'd I'd urge anyone to read it. It was um. Um, uh, it's called, uh, again, excuse my language, I was about to say that, that shit will never sell. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the Bailey's book. <laughs> yeah. It's a brilliant book about brand building and yeah. about, you know, yeah, obviously it is the Bailey story and that's how, how the man made his money. Um, but I read that book and I went back and I underlined certain things and, and went, you know, and one of the, the key tenants and the successful brands that, I, that that man has been involved, David Gluckman, I think his name is, that man yeah. has been involved in, it's been the liquid that has won it through. So that for me, you get the liquid, and that's, you know, I say it when, when, when you know, some other, um, some, some startup distilleries give me a call and sort of say, any advice, John? And my advice is make sure what you sell you're good at it. That that yeah. liquid is becomes all about you, and that's that's what I'm that's what I'm looking to do here with Paris Court. Yeah, are there going to be any big uh, changes in terms of where um, Farcullen, Paris Court, the brand uh, positions itself? I mean, it has been seen, and probably rightly so, positioned as a premium Irish mm-hmm. whiskey. Yeah. Uh, any any change in how that's going to develop? Well, you know, I suppose we've become a premium uh, whiskey because everything about the Paris Court Estate is premium. You know, you just come up there, you drive up, you see the Sugarloaf, see the house, you got two championship golf courses, you got a four-star, five-star hotel, and then you got this state-of-the-art distillery turnkey from four sides of Scotland, you know, some of the yeah. best equipment that money can buy. You come into the distillery, you've been there, Serge, you see it. Every touch point, everything you see screams premium. And that is what we're about. We're making premium whiskey. But, excuse me, not all premium whiskey has to be premium price, you know. Yeah. Um, up until now, all of the whiskey that we've released is whiskey that we have sourced from elsewhere, you know. So there's already a cost implication of what we have got it at and then for us to make margin for us to put it out. Well, from now on, we we have our own aged liquid, you know. So all of a sudden, we don't have that same cost implications. So we can maybe play around and do things differently. Now, we have enough stock of aged whiskey to continue with those uh, those sort of 18s and maybe I'm looking at bringing something even older, you know, yeah. and our grain releases and, and things like that. But we now have an opportunity to bring in, you know, our own power score distilled liquid, maybe as a blend. Because remember, let's just face facts here. 93% of all Irish whiskey sold around the world is blended. You know, if you're not in that, you're straight away just working on 7% of Irish whiskey sales, you know, Um, or probably even less. Maybe that. But I mean, that 93% is, uh, of that 93%, 90% of that 93% is Jameson. Is, that's that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. But at the same time, um, it's also at a certain price point uh, yeah. that if you're going in at single malts, you're going in at single pot distillery, going in at others, you're not going to be at that price point. You know, yeah. now we are in a situation, obviously, we're still going to have to acquire grain whiskey because we're not a grain plant. We are a, we are a malt and a pot still plant. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden, a significant portion of our costs are going to be reduced. 
Um, and yeah, you know, I am looking at, at coming in at something at level, and that that will become, you know, that will become the volume play all going well, and that will become, you know, you look at the United States of America. That's not a market that has appealed to us heretofore, and people sort of say, "Why?" You know, that's that's where all the growth is. Yeah, it's not. That's where all the growth is for a certain brand and certain brands at a certain price point. We yeah. we can't go there right now. You know, yeah. but if we have something that does appeal to that, well, then all of a sudden to 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 fill the container, you're also going to add in the 18 year old and a 10 year old single grain or your 20 odd or your limited release or whatever, you yeah. know, and all of a sudden it's a much it's a much better uh, proposition for us. So. So, yeah, that's that that's something I'm working on at the moment. But I mean, to to come up with a brand that's going to be, you know, your brand and and, and ultimately also, you know, the dreamer in me is it becomes one of the biggest whiskey brands in the world. Yeah. You want to get it right. You know? Yeah. 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 Because nobody sets out to do something half arsed. <laughs> you know? I know. I, I know. I mean, the challenges, the challenges are definitely there. Um, but it, you're probably talking two, three years before you really have the sustained throughput of your own liquid to really go out and, and hit the market with something of your own consistently. Well, depends on how much you've been making in the past three and a half years. Well, that's true, I guess. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have large capacity there. We do. We do. Yeah. And we're not even at full capacity. Yeah. So, uh, Another question I've been asked as well is uh, who's likely to fill the position of uh, of no? Or is that going to be taken in-house? Um, look, we don't know. As of right now, as far as the company is concerned, I'm looking after the liquids, um, the whiskey. We haven't stopped the stilling. Um, but as I said, um, I'm not a blender. I am not a distiller. Um, yeah. uh, so, um, look, we'll, we'll probably look to get somebody in. But you're, it's impossible. You're, you're not going to replace an old Sweeney, are you? You know, it's, yeah. it's impossible yeah. to replace an old Sweeney. So, well, I mean, um, that's one thing that's happened uh, and I've noticed happening over the last year, certainly, is... Uh, the amount of transitions happening within the industry. So you do see yeah. a lot of movement of, of distillers from, you know, leaving the industry, yeah. moving brands. So is that causing a big problem in, in recruitment? Is that a big challenge for distilleries? Um, I would say so, because you got to remember traditionally 10 years ago, there weren't distillers in Ireland. Yeah. You know, um, there was Noel. Um, there was Noel's team in Cooley. Um, yeah. You know, there was, uh, there was a team in Middleton and there was a team in Bushmills and that was it. You know, and young Irish people weren't getting into distilling because mm -hmm. it wasn't an option. There was no, there was no job for them. Um, yeah. You go, you do a science degree, you might end up working for a distillery in Scotland, you know, in a lab, yeah. you know, all that's changed now. I mean, now there's what there's, you know, Carlo has a course. I think does DIT have a course as well. That's Not right. Sure. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the opportunities are there now and the, the path, the career path is there now, which certainly wasn't there. Uh, Ten years ago, um, yeah. so I, I don't think there's there's a, there's a problem getting distillers. Um, I'd say the problem is at the at the you know to get the experienced distillers. That's sure. where the issues are, and that's that's probably why there has been movement because yeah. experienced distillers, you know, are um, hard to come by. You know, hard to come by and worth a few quid. So yeah, yeah. a couple of questions here, uh, John. Um, so Peter is asking, uh, will you use PowerScore as the brand name for your own liquid? Um, no. Um, our brand, our, yeah, our brand is for Cullen. Um, 
you got to remember, PowerScore really only has any bit of relatability here in Ireland. We know PowerScore. We've heard of PowerScore and we understand that. But you go to a consumer in Binnie's in Chicago and you say PowerScore or Cullen, they both say, well, I don't know what either of them are. Yeah. So a brand name is a brand name. You know, but for Cullen, for Cullen is, you know, the old Celtic name for the region. Um, a lot of a lot of history behind it. Um, and it is uh, and it is our it is our brand name. Yeah. Uh, another question then uh, from Connor. Connor, who is working in Cooley at the moment. Yeah. Uh, any advice uh, for the new generation of Irish whiskey brand ambassador? Uh, yeah. I, look, advice. Just be yourself. You know, Um the one thing, the one thing I used to always, I, I used to always say to the grads that I'd take on. Um, first thing, it is a job. There is a career. You can get a very good career out of this, out, 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 out of a role like that. Treat it as a job. You're you're working with a product which, you know, if abused, is dangerous. You you treat it with respect. You respect what you do. You respect the people who are drinking it and you respect when you are drinking it. You are the ambassador for yourself, for your brand and ultimately in a lot of cases for your country, you know. Um, and the other thing I often say to, 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 to local ambassadors or sort of junior ambassadors as well um, that I've trained is, you know, when they go into market, I mean, they're 23-year-old grad as I was. But and it can be a little bit daunting because let's say it's facts. There are people within the whiskey industry who like to say, no, you're wrong or no, that's not right or try to put their opinion on someone. And especially if it's a 23-year-old young graduate, be it male or female, it doesn't matter who is trying yeah. to get a story across. I just say to them, just remember, look around that room when you go into it. and Remember, you know more than everybody in that room. And I was like, yeah. well, you mightn't. But nobody in that room has spent time with John Cashman in the, in the distillery, you have. Nobody has spent time learning masterclasses or, you know, meeting Noel Sweeney or or whoever it is. Yeah. You have. And just remember that. Go in with your bit of confidence. Be yourself. But always respect what you're doing because it is it is uh, it is alcohol. Yeah. Uh, another question. That, uh, a few more questions are coming in. Taking... Okay. All right. Cool. So uh, not that one. Oh yeah, well, so Mick Mick is asking what what is your go to drink? Yeah, other than Percullen. Yeah, no, it it varies. Um, it is it is a Percullen eight in the glass here this evening. Um, uh, no, it does vary. I would drink a lot of Maker's Mark. Um, I have to say, I absolutely love Maker's Mark whiskey. Um, uh, even before I worked for them, um, I always liked it. And, and then it was essentially like a dream come true. You know, you're in the distillery of one of the brands that you've always loved and you're hanging around with the, the son of the founder of the distillery and you're going into the warehouse and all that. Like, it was just dream come true. Um, I think it's well known within the industry, certainly in Ireland, that my all-time favorite whiskey is a Beaumore. Uh, Beaumore White Sands, the 17-year-old. Um, and uh, there was a period of time where the cheapest place in the world to purchase that was Dublin Airport. Thankfully, it was also a time when I was flying quite a lot. So I was picking up a bottle every single time. And uh, But then I made a mistake of saying that at an aviators uh, whiskey event. Uh, they, they, for people who don't know, that's the uh, whiskey club of uh, people who, well, it started off as a whiskey club for people who work in Dublin Airport. 
Yeah. It's no branch out. Very good, very good club. And uh, I said it at it one day, and uh, some of them went off and bought all bloody oh, okay. gone next time I went. It was my own stupid fault. Now they still tease me about it. One guy in particular, if you're watching, Paul, I know. Oh, um, well. So uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So that you know, I I, I do love Bowmore. Bowmore for me was. You know, when I was growing up, when I was starting this industry, Bowmore was an aspirational whiskey. It was something that I thought I would only really start drinking when I really, truly understood whiskey and could could understand the nuances. And, you know, it got to a stage where, yes, I started drinking it, and then I became their global brand ambassador. And, you know, still to this day, many highlights of my career, but one of them was when David Turner, the the distillery manager, just threw me the keys to the – the number one vaults, which is the oldest maturation warehouse in all of Scotland, um, the famous number one vaults in Bowmore, threw me the keys and said, go in and try some of that 30 year old Oloroso, just help yourself. It's like, oh, and you yeah. came out, you came out. Yeah. Oh, I did just about, you know. Cobus uh, is asking there, uh, any pots still coming? I presume there is. Ah, yeah. Hey, Cobus, good to, good, good to see you again, even though I don't see you. Um, Yes, we have made pot still whiskey and we are continuing to make pot still whiskey. So we will have pot still. Our plan to set up for uh, malt whiskey and pot still whiskey. So we have made both. Um, the pot still whiskey is an interesting one because the, um, the, the, the unmalted barley is from the estate itself. Um, so we have that element coming into it, um, being on a large, large estate. We can do that. Um, so that, that's something to look forward to. Um, we've done. Uh, double distilled malt, triple distilled malt. We've also done, of course, peated malt. Just think of some of the things Noel has done in the past and it's been replicated. And yes, there will be pots still down the line. But pots still for me, look, I personally think pots still doesn't get drinkable till it's about seven or eight years of age. Um, mm-hmm. That's just a personal choice. So if I'm in Paris Court, you can be damn sure it'll be a few more years before we release a pot still. Well, that's uh, kind of reassuring. Uh, one of the points uh, I wanted to ask was in terms of experimentation, you know, uh, will you be experimenting with different mash bills? Will you be experimenting? I think we. you mentioned to me something, you're doing some collaborations going forward. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've, 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 I brought to the uh, distillery was um, owning your home area. And not so much like in a, in a, in a Vladimir Putin way, but in a collaborative way that you, you know, I said, let's, let's just take a map of North Wicklow and South County Dublin and stick a pin in power Court and take a bit of string and do a six mile radius around. Well, you're probably hitting 300, 400,000 people, right? Yeah. So we need to try to get across of where your local distillery are there people in Fox Rock who know that in 15 minutes' time they can be Paris Court Estate and there's a whiskey distillery there with whiskey that is available in their local O'Briens? You know, and that's what we need to start getting across. And the other ways of doing that is collaborating with local establishments, be it bars, be it hotels, letting them know, look, your guests can come on up. We'll, we'll have a special offer, a two-for-one, a 20% discount, whatever. Get people through the door, get liquid on lips, get people talking about us. But then look at other organizations and other businesses um, in the area. So I've started, um, well, no, I, I didn't start it. Sorry, you had started, but I've been pushing it out more, collaborating with some of the craft breweries in County Wicklow. So um, I'm just about, and 
here's a here's a uh, exclusive for you. I'm just about to release um, over the next few weeks a distillery exclusive, uh, only available in our distillery. There'll be a few bottles online, um, and it is a grain whiskey which has matured in um, our barrels, which went to the Wicklow Brewery in Red Cross, literally six miles from where I'm sitting right now. Um, yeah. They put their anniversary Imperial Stout in at 12, 12, 20. Um, and they let it sit in it for about, I think, 12 weeks, eight to 12 weeks, I think they had it in. We got the barrels back, filled um, our grain whiskey into it. Um, I, I, I was looking to do something different in the distillery. I tasted this and went, whoa. Yeah, so that's that's coming out in the next few weeks. Um, we have a distillery exclusive, is it? Distillery exclusive. Um, Look, another thing that people who know me and have followed maybe my career, if that doesn't sound too too ridiculous, I like to release whiskies at a price that are drinkable. Um, So I'm not breaking the bank. I'm not putting any tertiary packaging on this. There's no tube. There's no box. It's a bottle on a shelf that's going to be affordable. That's going to be really, really good quality, and you're going to want to drink it. And when you drink it, you're going to want to come and buy another one if it doesn't sell out so quickly. Well, we've seen that in some of the Kilbegans that you released, uh, yeah. you know, the Kilbegan Rye and Pot yeah. Still. So yeah, I'm looking, was, forward to, looking forward to that one. That can was you, can you just life. fall in that, uh, you fall in that six mile radius of where I live or where I did live. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that was one of the downsides to moving. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, that's some of the collaborations. Then today we're just doing, um, there's a beer about to hit the market this week by O'Brother Brewing who are based in Kilcool as three brothers behind it. Um, John Wilson just wrote a piece about him in last week's uh, um, Irish Times. Um, and they're releasing a new beer called Opus One, which is an imperial stout. And again, they've done it slightly differently. They've used our barrels, but they've used a cross-selection of malt and grain barrels. So they've right. used those barrels, put their beer into a letter mature. And this is a big release for them. You know, a big 12.5% imperial stout. What's their name uh, again, John? It's called Opus One. Opus One, okay. Um, by O'Brother Brewing. And uh, so I think it should be hitting the shops probably towards this weekend. And I've just got those barrels back. Now, because it was a much larger thing, I hope to, you know, put some liquid into it and it'll be a larger release that maybe won't be just a distillery exclusive, but something down the line. Maybe look out for it next year, um, I, I, I would say, from just timelines of maturation or whatever, you know. So so that's something. And, I, and you know, I, I want to reach out to other breweries around Wicklow. But not only that, but farms. We, we do a, we do a food and whiskey pairing um, option, we, you know, in the, in the distillery. We've really been to the forefront of that. And, and for that, we'll use, like, our, all our cheeses come from the hemp and cell family and just outside Arco and South County. Wicklow you know we use honey the honey is in the beehives right next to the distillery on the estate you know so just trying to collaborate as much as possible with locality and, and build this up this probably and it's something I really learned from my time in Scotland you know you yeah. go to you go to um, the village where Glengarry distillery is and god forbid if you were to order something else other than, than Glengarry Really? You know, yeah. or, you know, any of those things. There's so much pride in the locality and that's been lacking in Ireland for quite a lot. And I'm just trying to pull all that together. Yeah, I know that uh, one of the other things would be a shame not to mention as well, the collaboration, the food collaboration you're doing with Santina there. Yeah. As well, that's particularly, because, I mean, that is a big attraction for people coming in. And I know you're doing weddings and things as well. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So it's I, a visitor centre fully open. It's 
Yes, but it's still slow because we don't have many visitors right now um, yet. You know, yeah. this summer we're expecting really to pick up. But yeah, we have function rooms, so we 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 hold conferences and we hold you know business day outs that type of thing. We also do yeah, we do weddings, we do uh, day twos of weddings, we do all that type of stuff. So like you've been there you've seen we have these phenomenal rooms we have a full bar upstairs um we have tasting rooms we have conference rooms we have all types of things um but you know we are first and foremost a whiskey distillery and we're making exceptionally good whiskey which you know uh will will come to market over the next short while so you know it's all it's uh it's gone it's gone great really yeah look i mean obviously the last couple of years has been a a real uh, mess uh, but some, you know, it's it's actually opened opportunities up for some. But going forward and, and looking at the future, what are the challenges for power? And it, I suppose for the Irish whiskey industry going forward over the next couple of years, what do you see those challenges? Um, being? Well, the initial challenge, obviously, is route to market, um, finding the right partner. And it's something, you know, I learned, I learned in the Cooley days. And it's, you know, when you don't have the support or the backing of a large multinational, every market you go to is you're, you're higgledy piggledy with the partners that you choose, you know, yeah. and some are going to be much better than others. And that's just, that's just the nature. And some are, are going to be failures and you're going to have to cut your losses and, and, and start over again. And you're going to make loads, loads of mistakes, uh, more mistakes than you're actually going to get positives. And it's about building up relationships and partnerships. Um, a classic example of that is, uh, you know, our biggest export market is China. And the reason for that is we, we built up this relationship with uh, with our Chinese partners. And, uh, and we're a good trust scale now, you know, and we're we're doing well in those in, in that market. And that market being so massive, we're only in one little small area, you know, but we're still yeah. selling more there than we are anywhere else around the world, with the exception of Ireland. Um, so, you know, one of those one of those big issues is going to be, um, yeah, route to market and, and how people do that. The second one, and I hope it doesn't come to pass, is you know, the last time Irish whiskey was really, really dominant and really, really flying. You know, people started cutting corners. People started, you know, trying things to because it was a gold rush, and let's oh, we need to get it out there, so let's get it out there as soon as it possibly should be out there. And you know the old the old expression one one bad apple rots the whole the whole um, basket you know or whatever the expression is, but you know and you don't want that to happen anymore. And I think that's one of the things where the Irish Whiskey Association really comes in because the Irish Whiskey Association has been great at um, you know collaborative effect. And, and you know I'll get a phone call from somebody from a distillery saying, John, do you know anything about this market or do you know this distributor? And I'll I'll, I'll say yes, no, or whatever. Or can you help me out? Is is there something wrong with this liquid? And you. Know, I'll, I'll sample it and stuff like that. And there is that great collaborative effect. And that's that's really, you know, something like the Irish Whiskey Association, which, you know, over 97% of all Irish whiskey sales are members of the Irish Whiskey Association, you know. So, and it is it is very much a, a, a member-based uh, grouping. It's one 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 person, one vote, you know, um, not dominated by the, by, by the bigger players. So I think things like that are great where you have this collaborative effort and, and committees and all these different committees of which, like I chaired one of them in the Irish Whiskey Association, trade promotions for a few years, you know, and it's, you're, 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 you've got the small distillers and the big distillers working together for the, you know, for the, for the one aim, and that is for the betterment of the entire industry. And, um, and so long as that continues, I think we'll be in a good place. Yeah, I saw they were doing uh, a week's uh, on Africa, the Irish yeah. Whiskey Association, so kind of trade talks on Irish whiskey in Africa. So that's uh, another yeah, market, yeah. I presume that's a big one. 
It is, it is. And again, like, you know, definitely been led by, by, by Jemison. And I see again, Cobus is, uh, I think in, in Johannesburg, you know, when I, um, I had my honeymoon out in South Africa a few years ago now, and, uh, it was the only country I'd ever been to outside of Ireland where I saw billboards for Jemison. I saw Jemison in the back bar of every bar that I went into all around Cape Town or wherever I was. Um, so, you know, again, it's, <laughs> Jesus goes, um, again, it's been, uh, you know, something that's been spearheaded by, by Perno Ricard, but, but, but you also see other growth areas like Nigeria has had phenomenal growth in the past, in the, in the yeah. past few years. Ethiopia. Uh, Ethiopia, yeah, Mozambique, a lot of a lot of countries doing doing really well for Irish whiskey, and you know it's a, it's it's a difficult market for some of the smaller guys to get into, but at least with that collaborative effect and having the help of something like the Irish Whiskey Association who put on that um, that event this week to give people ideas and tell people how you do business in these countries is great. Yeah, yeah. Listen, John, I, I I'm really going to wish you the very best of luck uh, going forward with. Uh, the new career you've got your hands really full it's a, it's a big role with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, bits to connect together but i mean just the feedback here and the comments from the people here in the chat they've been very warm so complimentary towards you and really respectful and admiring of what you've done so you. that's a nice uh, it's a nice wish to be given i'm sure Definitely. but uh, you know on a personal front what do you see happening then in the in, in the next while um yeah, on a personal front, um, yeah, a few new releases this year. Obviously, um, the uh, the the first of which will be will be this distillery exclusive. I also have a, a big aged release coming out um, in conjunction with a uh, a famous whiskey bar in Dublin. Um, I'd say anyone can read between the lines and guess. Um, and then, you know, I have uh, part of my role, part of my role with, um, you know, um, new product development is to, is to, to have a series of releases um, over the, over the next uh, few years. And I said, certainly a lot of it is taken up now with, with this, this cornerstone of, of the future of the distillery um, and having that right. But then, you know, there's other things as well. As I said, we're fortunate to have all this aged liquid and we're fortunate to have had Noel's experience in A, getting that liquid, but B, getting different casks as well. And I'm certainly, I like to experiment with different finishes. Not all will see the light of day, but I have some very interesting ones there that I'm playing around with right now. So, yeah personal level i just hope to hope to continue doing that and be able to you know um bring bring the distillery on from the work that has been laid down by the team that's there from the founders of the distillery and and those like alex pierce and and, and noel sweeney who have moved on so yeah, yeah. it's going to be exciting busy well i mean you've got a beautiful distillery you've got fantastic facilities beautiful grounds great liquid so you know the rest is the hard work i suppose and uh, yeah getting it out there and getting it to market and look with your wealth of experience. I think it's fantastic. I mean, you really have done the full series of roles within the whiskey industry. You've seen it really from the consumer to the account Mm -hmm. manager, to the brand ambassador, to product development and consultancy. So it's a fantastic career. So congratulations, John. You've done a lot in the 20 years, actually, you know. <laughs> and a few, and a few of those were meeting my wife from Cuisine de France selling bread rolls. So yeah. yeah, well there you go, there you go. Well, look, thank you very much. I really wish you the very best of luck going forward in your career. You've always been a very uh, 
great friend and a great supporter of the of the show. So uh, anytime I've had questions, you've been really open and uh, giving our great insights. So really very much appreciate it. Next time, I'd, r- I'd rather you sit on this side. And, uh, <laughs> I'll do that. Have a, yeah. Well, look, thank you again so much. Best of luck. Uh, say hello to everybody. We'll be down at the distillery soon. And, cool. Uh, Brilliant. Thanks, sir. Launch it. Best right. of luck with all the progress. Take Cheers. care. Bye-bye. <clears throat> So thanks to uh, thanks to John, uh, a mindful of uh, experience there. Fantastic to get an insight. Wish him the best of luck. It's not going to be easy, but uh, John has the experience and the the know all to to do it. So uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you have enjoyed the show, please do subscribe or follow our our, our channel or follow us on Facebook. Um, these podcasts do come out at no charge. They are there for the public to be consumed and enjoyed freely and uh, we'd like to keep it that way and um, if you share it it helps us do that so thank you very much and we will speak to you next week with something a little bit different so take care sláinte <laughs>